0: Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly that's Adam Swim Silly S-C-I-L-L-Y all donations greatly appreciated thank you for helping me to support calm and now on with monkey tennis hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile
1: we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
4: Hi, Nick. Are you bored of drinking big fat shots of Director's Bitter and Ladyboy Chasers at home? Tom, I ruddy bloody am. I'm hopping mad and just want some exciting craft beers to enjoy when I'm watching my Bond
1: videos. That's not too much to ask, is it?
4: Well, have I got some good news for you. The fantastic chaps at Beer52 have given us a special offer they'd like us to share with our listeners. Can I just shock you? I, I like special offers. Do-, do tell me more. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis. Cover the postage cost of £5.95 and you'll be sent a box of eight cracking craft beers plus a magazine and two beer-appropriate snacks. Wow, that is
1: a real breath of fresh air. So you're telling me to get a free case of eight unique craft beers from Beer52, I just need to go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and cover the postage costs of £5.95? Yep, it's
4: literally that simple. It really is lovely stuff. Oh, sometimes you want to say, "Soddle this wine, just give me eight craft beers. And I've really got to say this, Nick. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Mmm. Yep. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, Korea, California, New Zealand, and many more. But what if I don't like dark beers? Ah, they've got that covered too. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose a light beer option. And you can pause or cancel at any time. Simply go to beer52.com forward slash monkeytennis and just pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Crash bang, wallop,
1: what an offer. Eight free beers, a magazine and two snacks for less than £6 postage. Mine's not a pint, mine's a box of eight craft beers. I'll drink to that.
5: Hopping mad, and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep-solutely. Yep, 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 salute. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring! There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Done! Monkey tennis? Little <laughs> piece, my foot on the stack. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. No. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazoo of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, "Who oh, the hell is that?" <laughs> like, this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello, everyone, and
0: welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we're kicking off series twelve with a brand new feedback episode. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Do you know what this room says to me?
4: Aqua, which is French for water.
0: Nick Alder.
1: Come
6: on, baby girl, my motorcycling's important to me. <laughs> you know that. And Tom Stav. It occurred to me: God, all-knowing, invisible, and all around us,
0: is identical to high-speed Wi-Fi. <laughs> We're about to delve into your messages, missives, corrections and queries from the last few months. But firstly, just a recap of all the many ways you can get in touch with us or show your appreciation if you've been enjoying the podcast. Uh, we're on email, obviously. That's where you start. Thepartridgepod at gmail.com. We're also on facebook.com thepartridgepod, twitter at thepartridgepod, instagram at monkeytennispod. Crucially, the Partridge Pod was taken. Rude. Uh, you can drop us a note on the Monkey Tennis Hotline. Leave us a voice note on 07923 600 017. We do love to hear your voices. Or if you're enjoying what you've heard and you'd like to give back as it were then go to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis where you can shout us three pounds the price of a cup of coffee or if you're feeling very generous 15 quid which is enough for all of us to be fully caffeinated humans Um, finally the other thing you can do which we do like to mention as does every podcaster if you're enjoying what you're hearing please rate and review us on apple podcasts aka itunes for those of you still stuck in the early 21st century (laughs) and kicking us off with some recent news it's Mr Tom Dark
4: thanks Adam yeah um it's probably worth a little chat about the recent Day to day reunion that took place on Radio Four. Um, so this was in mid-August. There is a series on Radio Four called The Reunion, which is hosted by Kirsty Walk. And in that show, they reunite a group of people intimately involved in a moment of modern history. So that's correct. The day to day is obviously modern history. So you had Kirsty Walk with Armando Iannucci, Patrick Marber, David Schneider, Steve Coogan, and Dune McKeegan. I'm going McKeegan, because that's how Kirsty Walk said it. Um, Yeah, so basically you had the cast there talking about the day-to-day, which, uh, as I'm sure we all know, was first broadcast January 1994, but coming off the back of the award-winning Radio 4 comedy On The Hour, which first aired in 1991 and 1992. So obviously the impetus for this is all essentially you've got 30 years since the birth of Alan Partridge, but also On The Hour and The Day-to-Day and everything that followed. Um, So I don't know if all four of us had a chance to listen to this.
6: I think the first thing to pull out is that I just think it's a shame that old uh, Chris Morris wasn't involved in some capacity, at least you know maybe on the uh, what would you call it the uh, the reunion hotline. He never like so he could, could do a little
0: do a little voice note. <laughs> he never looks back, Tom. His head will not turn. He doesn't look back. He only <laughs> looks forward.
4: Yeah, I guess also the other kind of key missing cast member was Rebecca Front as well. So it's a shame that mm. he didn't have the full compliment, But yeah, I think Chris Morris in particular, he is kind of quite uh, promotionally shy. Um, But I thought this was a very fun listen. It was great to hear them all in the same room together. Uh, There was some great banter about the Oxbridge lot being Armando, Patrick and David, whereas Stephen Dune went to Manchester. Uh, I thought, yeah, they all... Genuinely sounded happy to be back in the same room together. A lot of laughter. Uh, and there are some great tidbits about the kind of gestation of the Partridge character. They talk about there was a newsbreak presenter at the time called Frank Partridge that helped inspire the name. Um, there's also some good banter between uh, Coogan and Marba specifically. Coogan talks about Marba saying to him, Steve, you're more talented than me, but I'm cleverer than you. Uh, and he also talks about... Um, Coogan said that Marber said to him, this character will change your life. And like I say, there's a lot of great insight into the early days and creation of the character. So much so that I think it's probably worth playing a little clip in for those that haven't heard it just to give you a flavour of it.
5: In fact, I do remember Patrick ringing me up after the recording of Knowing Me, Knowing You at the Paris studios It was a call box, so it was definitely pre-mobile phone. And he said, that show you did tonight is going to change your life. And in five years' time, people will be shouting aha at you across the street. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, that would be fantastic. (laughs) I think just one thing to pick out from
6: that, from that clip, and from the show in general, is something that's come up relatively recently: is how Coogan's voice is just naturally kind of well, not naturally. He's not really putting on a, a partridge mm. voice anymore. Mm. He is and maybe there's a slight, um, a slight change for it. But you listen to that clip and you go, he's, "That's basically what Alan sounds like yeah. right now." He's not really putting he, he may sort of like exaggerate it a little bit, but it is very Coogan's actual voice is very close to partridge. I think now.
4: the main difference you get is the howat and the howens, and that's yeah. about it. Um, the other note that I had specifically is that Patrick Marber sounds very, very keen on doing another series. So um, question to the group, would a second series of the day-to-day actually work? Would you be interested in that?
0: I think enough's changed. in. The, I mean, obviously, you, I think the default position is, well, the news is so overblown and ridiculous now, it parodies itself. Yeah. But I do think enough has changed in the 20 years in news coverage and how you know how people try and strike a balance by getting you know somebody who's correct and then an idiot that thinks the other thing. Mm. Uh, I th- <laughs> I feel like that enough is enough has changed in news that there's there's a, a ripe a new set of tropes to parody. So I think it could work, um, but I also think maybe it's better done by a younger group of people now rather than these guys going back to something that they did 20, 25 years ago.
4: Yeah, I mean I I'm inclined to agree with that because I do feel like. If there was a day-to-day Series 2, I think the ex- the expectation of what the audience would want from that would be quite specific, and it's probably not actually the right thing to do, because yeah, if it is just all about how graphics are overblown, and stings go on for too long, and how OTT the news is, that's like, yeah, like you say, that essentially is realistically how the news is now, what started off poking a bit of fun, it actually seems like it's gone more that way, to the point where that's normality for the news. And also, I guess it is that thing, and I think I think they probably talk about this in the in the uh, in the reunion show as well. That in essence, it is kind of like a sketch show because you do have all these random, disparate kind of thoughts and very um, like surreal ideas popping up, but it's all kind of joined together by Chris Morris being the anchor in the newsroom, isn't it?
6: It's kind of it's difficult because you would want it to be different enough so that it isn't just um, the same thing over and uh, the same thing repeated. And I think people would have an issue with it if it was different because we have seen the reaction to people, the reactions from people when Partridges come back and they just want another series of I'm Alan Partridge and they'll just like basically play the hits, Alan, that kind mm. of thing. So they would kind of want this cast to re- reunite and play the hits. And if they did something completely different, it probably wouldn't go down particularly well. Now, obviously, the strength of those people from a creative standpoint is so top tier that I'm sure it would be very good, but. I'm sure you would get the same people who are moaning that this time isn't. I'm Alan Partridge series three, moaning that this that uh, the day to day isn't the same as it was back then.
4: Yeah, and you know, I, I think certainly someone like Armando Iannucci and also David Schneider, like you know, they haven't shied away from commenting on kind of news and and kind of like developments that are kind of like the, the big news stories of the day. But yeah, I feel like like Adam says, it's the jokes would now be more about kind of like balance and fake news and things like that so I think it would become a very different beast which probably would then leave people feeling a bit disappointed maybe
6: put it this way I think if Inucci doesn't want to do another series of the thick of it because
7: mm.
4: <laughs>
6: that world has been transcended by the real world he's definitely not going to want to do another the day to day is mm. he
1: Uh, We also had some correspondence from our listeners um, who had also listened to the uh, show. So this was from Rachel Newman, who wrote, Dear Fops, I'm sure you're ahead of me on this, but there are a couple of Partridge tits bits in the recent episode uh, episode of Radio 4's The Reunion episode on the day-to-day. So firstly, the presenter, Kirsty Walk, at one point refers to Partridge's upcoming project as your own TED Talk. Uh, How does this tally with uh, what else we know about uh, the project? Um, which I'm guessing is in reference obviously to Steve's uh, or Alan's live show next year. Secondly, there's a bit when Steve Coogan and Dune McKeegan are describing the spoof radio plays they improvised and it is pure Hannigan, um, which as you'll remember is from Mid Morning Matters Series 2, Episode 1. Uh, personally, I love the Hannigan piece. Uh, My God, you're busty. One uh, of the key <laughs> favourite lines. Um, I would love to hear a version uh, by the day-to-day cast. And that is from Rachel, who describes herself as a female Fan of Partridge
6: Uh, For FOP For FOP Indeed Um, So uh, I'm going to do a little bit of teasing now Ooh, do you like that? you want me to move on to the other one? <laughs> not, not when you say it like that. <laughs>
2: um,
6: so obviously we're here recording uh, feedback episodes, which implies that there is a series coming. And if you thought that there is a series coming, you would be right. But what is in that series? There is no new Partridge to cover. Um, well, given the fact that we are celebrating roughly 30 years of Alan Partridge, an incredible milestone... And what we've done is we've interviewed a load of well-known fans of partridge fops. Um, so from the world of comedy, from the world of, of uh, presenting and entertainment, a, a kind of broad spectrum of people who consider themselves to be fans of Partridge. Um, We're not going to tell you who it is, but we promise we have recorded them. And over the next few weeks, we will perhaps drop little tidbits, little clues on our socials of who we're going to have on the show uh, that week. Um, And we've taken it in turns as as pairs to kind of interview some fans of Partridge. So um, what we hope is that it will be
0: uh, just a bit of fun. Um, if you're looking for the inside track on upcoming guests then now would be a great time to follow us on social media so it's facebook.com slash the partridge pod at the partridge pod on twitter or at monkey tennis pod on instagram we'll be dropping some little breadcrumbs there ahead of every episode of this new series
6: basically if you've seen what off menu do we're stealing that
8: idea
0: (laughs) (laughs) so Back to your feedback. Um, We've got a couple of uh, audio notes. Thank you very much to all of you that have called in the Tennis hotline. Um, We're going to start with Brian, who's got some thoughts about the ending of this time with Alan Partridge.
8: Brian. Hi, guys. Uh, Really enjoyed the series. Um, I think you brought a lot of great insight to the second series of this time that I never noticed before. Um, But I just want to touch on the ending and the psychic Simon Punch. Uh, I think that was definitely a deliberate choice Uh, with the whole uh, Jeremy Clarkson BBC scandal of the last couple of years. I think it's pretty much drilled into the public consciousness that, you know, essentially attacking a workmate will get you fired. Who knew? Um, But yeah, I think think that was a deliberate choice purely based on the fact that there's a precedent set of a BBC presenter attacking somebody off-camera and the repercussions that were found from it. So I think that this, uh, along with the announcement of Stratagem, quite close to the last episode, I think that was also deliberate. I think that that is basically Alan's next venture. Um, BBC, uh, at least in English broadcasting, is the top of the pile. Uh, He's definitely gone. I think that was uh, made very clear from the ending. I know you guys had said it was a damp squib, but I think it was very... uh, representative of the state of his career. Uh, He's barred from the BBC. He's not coming back, especially causing a bit of a a fracas on a Royal episode. Um, Definitely doesn't reflect very well on his career. So I think that Stratagem is basically going to be the next step. He's going to go into his own, you know, self-funded TED Talks to try and further his career. So I don't think it'll be the last we'll see of Alan Partridge on screen, but I think in terms of his career... Stratagem is not so much a further progression as much as a scrabbling for anything, really, I suppose. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much. I appreciate all the hard work you've done in research and uh, look forward to hearing the next episode.
0: Hard work and research. Has he even listened? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thanks very much for getting in touch, Brian. I thought you made some very good points there, Um, especially around the parallels between uh, Clarkson and... Partridge. I hadn't actually thought about how closely those two stories mm. relate mm. to one another. Um, it also made me think, with Stratagem, if it is a scrabbling, I wonder if it's going to be one of those things that kind of is presented as Alan in control. You know, he's telling you how to live your life. But then gradually over the course of the show the sort of the cracks begin to show and it and it basically ends up being a man having a breakdown on stage i thought that'd be quite an interesting concept rather than it just being a kind of forward solution style beginning to end ted talk if it becomes more of a sort of unraveling of partridge live in front of everyone's eyes (laughs)
6: well
4: most
0: things involving alan and with him
6: unraveling in front of our eyes having a breakdown
4: (laughs) I i think that's a really good point um Obviously, we don't really know what it's going to be yet, but I think you're bang on that there's going to need to be some kind of narrative, you know, because it's going to be what, I mean, I'd hope for the amount of tickets cost, it's going to be roughly a two-hour show at the least. So it needs to be more than just Alan doing his own version of a TED Talk because that in itself only gets you so far, doesn't it, in terms of a live show, I think. Um, And I thought it was interesting as well, Brian referring it to as a TED Talk on the call um, and also Kirsty Walk referred to it as a TED Talk in the reunion as well. So I don't know whether that was perhaps in an article or something, whether whether uh, whether Steve Coogan or one of the Gibbons brothers referred to it as a TED Talk style show, or whether that is just what people have picked up on from the, from the teaser trailer that we've seen. But um, I would imagine it's definitely, it feels like it's going to be an extension of not only Forward Solutions, but also uh, Lessons in Life Management, which was a section in a Coogan live show in a the late 90s as well
0: so plenty to look forward to with uh, Stratagem, uh, on to our next voice note, uh, thanks to John who got in touch with A Tale of Two Queens Hello guys, it's uh, John here from
7: Woolf. Um and just on your last pod you were talking about people who'd uh, seen royalty, well I've got a, a little nice little double one here I uh, in 1977 yeah that's how old I am, I actually saw the Queen at Ellen Road at Leeds we were all school kids and we went to see her and give her a quick wave. She run round, er, she drove round. And then in 1982, I saw Queen of the Band, also Ellen Rose. So it's a nice little double
4: there. Ha-ha! <laughs> I really enjoyed the ha-ha there.
0: You're from Hull, John. You're from Hull. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't have much to add to that. Just a nice, just a lovely, just put lovely story.
4: Yeah, it, it's John's funny story.
0: Uh, Moving on now to James, who is reporting live on location for us. Greetings, monkey tennisers
7: and podcast listener. I'm James, and I'm reporting to you from a rather pretty little permissive pathway, or indeed, now it looks like a public footpath, just (laughs) south of the pretty village of Heatherset. Why am I here? Well, in series two, episode two of This Time with Alan Partridge, there was rather a clear map where Alan was off out to buy trousers, and came back home several times. And this is where the Oast House is on the map. It's a beautiful little area, just beyond the park and ride, so no having to deal with the riffraff. And indeed, on the other side of the main road to Heatherset Village itself, so well away from the public gaze as well. It did raise me a little bit of a concern that there are Taylor Wimpy homes being planned or built (laughs) along the way a little bit. But otherwise, it's quite idyllic and beautiful. Now, tempted as I am to try the door of the Oast House, I would not say that it would be a particularly good idea on my patrol grimage without prior agreement from Alan, or at least uh, from Lynn, for fear of being chased down the path and being accused of being a mentalist. But this is an idyllic place, and very much suited to the location of the Oast House, and I would recommend that anybody who fancies popping by do so. Love the podcast and uh, looking forward to more. And I will send the location on a WhatsApp message. Bye for now.
6: What I like about that message from James is that it's quite uh, in a sort of hushed, understated, uh, quite uh, reserved tone. Almost as though he's recording it maybe from like a bush or behind a tree or something like that. Like he is actually snuck in and he's kind of like peering around and looking in and maybe seeing some uh, 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 some takeaway cartons, uh, some uh, walking boots. Uh, yeah. Uh, it sounded like maybe he had gone a little bit uh, too far into someone else's property at that point. I don't know. <laughs>
4: uh, I was
1: just going to say as well, um, I thought his uh, sound recording quality was excellent. Uh, also from a live location, the quality there really was breathtaking.
0: I felt like I was listening to a Radio 4
6: afternoon play.
4: <laughs> yeah, very Archers, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a bit, of a, a bit of actuality in the background, like cars passing by in the distance. So I think if I remember correctly, because he did send like a screen grab of where he was on the map and a photo of himself... Um, so I'll try and dig those photos out and we can put them up on socials but if I remember correctly essentially he's just in the middle of a field he's not actually on someone else's property which in a way is a shame but also probably for the best (laughs) in summary thank you James do voice note again. That, that is the gold standard of voice notes, I think. And I feel like it's probably... I don't, I don't know, this might be a very bad idea, but can we perhaps do a, an appeal to the listeners? Can anyone else report to us live on location from any Partridge-relevant nice. uh, locations? What do you think? Is is that going to get us in some kind of legal trouble? or is that a go- it's fine.
0: <laughs> Please do supply photographic
4: evidence, because otherwise anyone could just call and say I'm on the ring road, I'm going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very fair point. So yeah, we'll only accept if there is... Also pictorial evidence alongside it. That seems fair.
1: Well, it's been rays of sunshine so far, but I'm here to darken the skies with some slightly troublesome um, uh, commentary from our listeners. So this comes from JP235, and this is in relation to the story arcs of this time. Um, They write, my only real criticism of this time is that it seemed to set up story arcs and then not make much use of them. Early in series two, we have the stories of Alan's fears over the new producer and the rise and fall of the Jenny slash Sam relationship, neither of which really proved very significant by the middle of the series. Later on, Alan's desperation to secure the Princess Anne interview and Simon's ambition to expand his role could have been built up more. I did really enjoy the series, but it felt more like a sketch show, uh, a sketch show excuse me, where each segment would go wrong and then get forgotten. The segments with Matt Smith and Nick Mohammed, for example, just seemed to stop dead, leading me to expect their characters to return later, which never happened.
4: We also had an email from Kyle Barrett, uh, essentially echoing this kind of sentiment that they felt uh, there were unfulfilled story arcs. So Kyle wrote... Um, Alongside you guys, I had been speculating on the possible machinations of Jenny and Tiff all series, and it goes to show how easily expectations can lead to disappointment. Overall, I enjoyed the second series this time and thought the finale was great, but it is cemented that the show is all about Alan. That may be unsurprising to say, but should the series have committed to more defined arcs for the supporting characters? Simon seemed to be getting more comfortable in his role and had expanded into hosting, but this goes nowhere. Jenny's relationship and subsequent breakup with Sam fizzled out and ultimately felt irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, although admittedly did lead to some funny scenes. And I guess there was nothing more to Tiff's character after all. The three of them do play roles in Alan's big moment in the finale, Tiff being the possible unleasher of the photos, Simon making the significant and regretful joke, and Jenny being the one to interview Princess Anne instead of Alan. Should the show have committed to giving them all character journeys rather than just being satellites for Alans? Or am I putting too much unnecessary pressure and expectation on this show that it's just meant to be a very funny Alan Partridge series, which it absolutely is? I can't help but feel there were some missed opportunities. I apologise for not working in a partridge quote or joke in this email and instead writing something serious and incredibly dull about a comedy show. Um, so, collective thoughts on that? Is it broad agreement?
1: I think that we, I think we covered this um, around the kind of mm. story arcs. And I think that there is agreement that um, there, isn't, there isn't particularly defined story arcs and characters kind of don't really go anywhere. I mean, I think it's important to remember that it isn't a soap obviously, and it isn't a, it's not a narrative-driven comedy, so we've all probably been a little bit guilty of expecting more of characters that really were never there to service anything more than the humour of certain situations. So I think it's a bit of an A and B in that I think we would probably want overall for there to be more clearly defined arcs in terms of the narrative of the um, story of the series, But individual characters, I think it's fine, for example, that if you take Tiff as as an example, I don't think there's any merit in that character actually having any kind of like narrative arc because there really wouldn't be that much time and it would Mm. become sapping in terms of the amount of time required to make that that work. So I get where they're coming from and I do in some respects feel the same, but I think ultimately the way that they've approached it is probably the right way. I
4: I think ultimately you're right that you're hampered by six episodes of 30 minutes in length, there's only so much story you can tell in that time, especially when you do have to also include the format and structure of the This Time programme within the episodes itself as well. So there's a certain amount of time that has to be allocated to show certain things on screen. And I think actually it's interesting because I, I, I totally agree. I think with Tiff, it's like that character serves a purpose to an extent. I think what's more interesting is a a more significant character in a series like Jenny, her engagement with Sam that actually doesn't really lead to anything apart from, like they say in their email, a few funny scenes. But something like that, I would have thought the Jenny-Sam engagement might have a a more significant part to play.
0: I'd also be really interested to hear from listeners whether they think there is any other comedy show that's really managed to marry a very strong story arc with a very funny program because it does feel like there are a lot of comedy programs where it's a battle between one or the other. You take something like um, say feel good, for example, I would say it's a very funny show, but that is a show that prioritizes the arc over the comedy. I would say it's more, it's more important that it's telling a story than it's really funny. Whereas you take something on the other hand, like Friday night dinner, where it's all about being funny and actually they paint themselves into a corner by giving themselves too much of a story arc because there's only so many things that can happen in that house on a Friday night. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm keen to hear from listeners if anybody thinks that's ever really been nailed, a sort of 50-50 split between great narrative arc and really funny episodes.
6: The the only one, it's probably not the only one, but it's the one that immediately springs to mind, is those early, maybe what, series one to five i think of peep show the the mark and sophie storyline which goes from courting to going out to marriage to break up like over the course of multiple series not just one series obviously but that's the only one that really kind of immediately springs to mind and that's because they did have the luxury of multiple series to really develop that obviously i don't know how many series they had from the start and whether they knew that's where it was going to go or whether it was just the natural progression. But, um, yeah, that's the that's the one that immediately springs to mind for me. The only
0: thing I would say of Peep Show is that I know for a fact one of those series was designed so that apart from the first and last episodes, the rest of the episodes could be shown in any order. So I think that was the last series, I think. Oh, right. I think it was the last series. I think so. Okay. Oh, well, then in that yeah. case, the point stands. Yeah, those early series, uh, yeah, they, they were going somewhere with it then. Okay. Yeah, and I was thinking of something maybe like based
1: as well in that it has it's sort of driving towards an, an end point um but you know those episodes individually stand up as funny and you can come to them without any kind of context but there is an overarching kind of story that goes alongside that that, that builds to something bigger than just the sum of the individual episodes
6: now we love a callback and paul williams clearly does as well so he was watching uh, or i said, should say re-watching this time series one episode five And he says that Alan makes a reference to Lynn smelling like stuffing. So that joke in the cocktail tasting in series two, where Alan is sniffing the drink and saying he can smell stuffing right as Lynn approaches, was a callback. Now, I must admit, that's not something that I think any of us noticed um, as being a callback. So, Paul, great spot. Well
0: done. Um, friend of the show Dean Tonner has been in touch as well saying re-cue cards are you guys blind suddenly less of a friend of the show Dean Uh, there's multiple occasions throughout both series where characters especially Alan and Simon are clearly reading from off screen Uh, so what do we think about this one
6: well, I have hmm. to admit, I didn't. I didn't. I haven't noticed this at all. Even when, even when it was pointed out as happening in, in in series two, I was still unsure whether they were doing it. So maybe it's just I'm not very good at spotting that kind of thing. I genuinely haven't yeah. noticed at all. Yeah,
4: I'm. I'm not sure. It, I really massively agree because I think we we looked at the the scene with um coogan and matt smith and i just feel like they're looking around the studio as a way to react to what each other's saying to the characters yeah, yeah. but I, I did think it is, it is worth noting of course so what we do know is with this time they did use a genuine auto cue on set for the script which is obviously massively unusual to do for a for a sitcom um partly because the rewriting was down to the wire um but also i guess it does help it make make it feel more like a a one show or whatever. So I did wonder as well, is that what people are noticing? Because obviously then you would see Alan and Jenny at the very least. Actually, they they are reading from an auto cue. But again, I don't think it's noticeable personally. So it's a debate that's going to rumble on potentially.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's trying to uh, understand what is the conceit of them pretending to be on a show like, you know, the one show um, versus the genuine need for a cue card. So to some degree, we may never know the answer to that one, Dean.
4: But something we might have an answer on is just coming in from Benji82 on Twitter. So Benji wrote to us about the uh, what we're calling the Putney joke from this time series two. Benji writes, you guys still don't get the Putney joke. I may be missing something, but isn't the joke simply that there would have been no need to hide the girls in a basement anywhere in the UK? They weren't in Germany and didn't need hiding. So this guy was up to no good. And I've read that thought about it. And Benji, yeah, I think you're bang right. Arguably, anybody that is sheltering six Jewish women in a basement in Putney, England, probably isn't doing it because of Nazis. The basement owner is being bad and wrong. And I would say, yeah, looking at this now, I'm kind of astonished that we didn't really get the jokes. But I feel like you kind of get stuck in a cycle sometimes when you're trying to dissect things off the, on the fly like this, where we're almost, we almost end up looking for a more complicated level to a joke than, than is needed sometimes. I think it was the specificity specificity of
6: Putney that threw us basically. It's like, oh, there must be what? some significant <laughs> 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 They could have chosen any location. They could have chosen anywhere. Why did they choose Putney? There must be yeah. a
4: reason. And that's the thing I think sometimes we're we're, we're digging into the scripts uh, in quite minute detail looking for stuff that just simply isn't there. So, yeah, yeah I I think Benji's nailed exactly what the joke is, yeah. Uh,
6: if if we weren't doing that, we'd be doing ourselves and yeah. our listeners exactly. a disservice.
4: We, we do this all for you. <laughs>
6: It, but if that is the if that is the joke, I would also say... Oh, we still that, going, are we?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me at least dig more <laughs> into this. <laughs> if that is the joke, I would still say as well, that joke in the grand context of all the other jokes is not that great as well. I think it's also that if that's the gag, I was looking for something funnier than that because I don't think that's
4: that funny. I also think there, there is a, a problem, and it's a good problem to have, that the the... The, the layering of the jokes and the pace of the jokes, they do come quite thick and fast in this time. And particularly, I think this is in yeah. a digital sequence where there's always a lot of banter between Alan and Simon, let alone the interaction with what the list, what the viewers are sending into the show. So I think sometimes you're still thinking about a gag that's just landed when the next one's come in. And yeah, I, I think that's kind of... Yeah. Well, we got thrown off the centre a little bit. But yeah, I I think Benji's got it right.
1: Well, let's see if James Everard has got it right. Um, because he wrote via email to say Steve Coogan escaped a six month ban in 2019 by stating in court that he was due to film a travel log for the BBC uh, in character as Alam. I'm not sure if uh, the show was this time or another show that hasn't appeared yet or a spurious effort to escape a driving ban. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, it occurred to me uh, that a great concept for an Alan series would be that he was contracted to the BBC to deliver a travelogue series, but that he'd had his driving licence revoked. Therefore, uh, he'd have to pay Simon and Lynn to drive him round the country. <laughs> there could be a lot of comedic potential in having Alan in the passenger seat uh, and for convoluted reasons, he could have to do some of the tra- uh, some of the travelling via public transport. This can involve altercations with the public or having uh, the wrong tickets leading to heated phone conversations with Lynn. He could miss connections and have to spend time in provincial <laughs> british towns <laughs> um he could form an unlikely likely friendship with a train conductor and go back to his house in Scarborough. He could travel to Hampstead to meet Bill Oddie, but due to miscommunication, Oddie has travelled to Nor- Norwich. Uh, Alan could then uh, spend uh, a day being infuriated by London and uh, all of the things that he finds upsetting about the place. I mean... I don't know what we all think about that, but that does sound very good. Um, I, what I was thinking as I read that was that we did obviously have a Nomad, which was something of a travel log where you get some of these... Um, things to some degree uh, covered um, but I would also be very happy to see him being travelled around uh, the UK staying in provincial British towns with Simon and then
0: I genuinely think that that James has come up with the best most fully formed most likely partridge vehicle of anything we've heard since we started monkey tennis including a lot of the ideas we've come up with ourselves i can mm. you can see this working it doesn't feel too obvious it's a great way of including a lot of characters we love without it being too contrived and it does have so many options you know like he says if you want to go down the kind of the more vintage partridge route then you can have this sort of billoddy miscommunication or if you want to kind of bring it bang up to date then you can find some other way around it i think uh, i think it's an idea rich with possibility.
4: So I think in summary, that's a commission. Jed, please ring the bell. In fact, I I think we should go one better than that. I think we should give James a very special prize for uh, essentially the best communication of the day. Let's award him this. A
1: mile
5: of the evening.
1: That is true. But I think the biggest question uh, that needs answering off uh, the back of James's email is... Has Steve pulled the wool over uh, <laughs> the courts of uh, Britain? Uh, he did escape a driving ban and we haven't got to the bottom of why.
4: Yeah, that, that is the big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
6: And next we have another friend of the show, Michael, or, or Bloke 19 as he is on Twitter, uh, and he wrote in to say that uh, I've been watching I'm Alan Partridge Series 1 for the millionth time. It still bothers me that Alan offers Lynn a lift to the cab rank after the traffic cone incident, despite being over the limit and being paranoid about being done for drink driving. Um, it's a fair point. I don't think Alan would risk uh, a driving ban. Um, obviously, Kagan wouldn't. after. Okay. <laughs> yes, no, you're right, you wouldn't. Um, but what I will also say is that maybe at this point he's sobered up a bit. He's gone through the the, the, uh, the intense uh, experience with the police officer. Um, it's been quite a traumatic evening and that can kind of sometimes kind of sober you up and take you out of that uh,
0: that booze fog. So maybe he just sobered <laughs> up a bit. Uh, Time for some crossover fun now. Matthew Ellis got in touch to say, while re-watching This Time Series 1, I noticed that in the last episode, the police officer who arrests Partridge is none other than ds ian buckles from the murder investigation team in line of duty so perhaps ac12 exists in the partridge verse at any rate he's played by nigel boyle who also plays buckles and that's close enough for me perhaps lynn is h well i would say matthew that lynn follows the bible to the letter of the law the letter uh, and also she's interested in one thing and one thing only and that's catching big cardies so uh, it's possible
4: and sorry guys quick question what is the letter of the law Jay? jay correct that's the correct answer <laughs> um okay i think it's time for our last uh, email uh, of uh, today's show uh before we get into uh, the obligatory bank holiday fun so this is quite a lengthy email from james cochland uh titled feedback and musings okay sit back strap in it's a long one james writes thank you and very thank you for the podcast this is It's a good start. Discovered you guys at the start of lockdown (laughs) and working through hours of your content has been a brilliant distraction during these very black times. I wanted to share some thoughts on all your content. Obviously, as I'm commenting on the entire series, a lot of this isn't going to be exactly current, but I've got to get it off my chest. So we're going in point one or three here, this time series one, regarding the yellow Lotus Esprit that we see on the DigiWall. James writes, what you may have missed is the added relevance of this particular model. The Esprit Series 1 was the same one used by Roger Moore in The Spy Who Loved Me. So Alan's worship of Roger, coupled with the collection of photos on his iPad, linked right back to Kim Kiwap and later on to the caravan. Also, in a further blurring of the lines between Alan and Coogan, I think you will find that the actual yellow Esprit pictured is part of Steve's personal car collection. I mean, I guess we can't verify that, but it's a good good tidbit if it is.
6: I think that is an unbelievably good spot. I think you need a very broad knowledge of quite, you know, well, actually not broad knowledge, you need quite a specific knowledge of quite a few things here that I think, you know, are, I mean, I think we've talked about Bond in the past, that the old ones are a bit, like, they haven't aged particularly well, and I'm not a huge fan of the sort of older Bonds. But, um, yeah, obviously, with Alan being such a fan, that is that is a great little detail mm. of a through line from, from Partridge uh, old to Partridge yeah. new.
4: Uh, second point of three, Alpha Papa. James writes in Alpha Papa, we see Lynn driving her beige Metro. Fast forward to From the Oast House, and in the final ambush episode, Lynn is parked opposite Alan in a beige Maestro, the next model up in the now defunct Austin Rover range. His question is: Has Lynn had an upgrade, or did the writers make a mistake? Knowing their attention to detail and that Steve is a proper petrol head, I wonder if it was deliberate. The colour makes me think it's meant to be the same car. I mean, again. Incredible level to detail to spot these things, right?
0: (laughs) A great spot. It sounds, yeah. I suspect that what's happened here is that they would have kept it metro if they could, but as he says, the range is defunct, and perhaps they just couldn't find a serviceable metro that they could use in the later series. And so, um, I think... This is from the Oast House, remember? Yeah, so it's just a a
4: theatre of the mind, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's very true. (laughs) I I would maybe scrap that point, Adam. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's nonsense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's impressive um, because a lot of this information is quite uh, detailed car knowledge, and he's kind of covering off uh, both ends of the spectrum with the supercars <laughs> of the Lotus Esprit range, and then the super crap cars of the uh, Austin. Sorry, so is that uh, supercars
4: and super crap cars? Those are the ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: right. He's got them both. Supercars. cars, <laughs> super talk. Brought to you. Alright, and
4: then lastly from James's length email, this is Mid Morning Matters, Series 2, Episode 5. James writes I know that spotting continuity errors in Mid Morning Matters is like shooting fish in a barrel, so we accept that multiple takes and editing to tighten it means that incorrect hand, head, and body positions are often noticeable between shots. However, The massage episode was clearly shot over different days, even though Alan tells us he is having his massage later in that programme. When Alan is sat at the console, he is wearing a black-faced wristwatch. Cut to him lying on the treatment table, and his watch now has a white face. Steve obviously picked a different watch up off the dressing table when he left the house that day. Now, what I will say here is, for James' third point, I'm not sure that's necessarily how it works. Like Normally, with a TV show, you have a props department that would issue characters with their props for being on screen so for example something like EastEnders they literally have a props cupboard where each character has what that whatever their watch is their mobile phone their wallets their rings every kind of small prop item that character would have they're kind of allocated to characters almost like they're real people so I don't I'd be very surprised if it's just Steve wearing his own watch whilst he's being Alan particularly because Alan obviously dresses and has style in a certain way which isn't necessarily reflective of Coogan's but equally potentially Midmorning Matters was done on quite a small small budget maybe they didn't have that level of production so it could be that but it's probably not that
6: I was just thinking that reminds me of... I think it's one of the outtakes that I've mentioned previously on the, the pop socks. where yeah. Alan's... Where the socks, yeah, where Steve's got his feet up on the desk and he's just like, can we get some new socks? These aren't very Alan socks. So I was wondering if those maybe had been his socks that he was wearing that day. It's just like, oh, they're just a pair of socks. Like, I'll put the rest of the clothes on. And then... Obviously, him looking at them, going, "Actually, you know what? Those aren't very Alan socks. I need to get them changed." So I wonder if it was similar right, to that. So it was okay, so it was we need to figure socks. out:
4: was the black-faced wristwatch Steve's or Alan's, or was it the white? Yeah, which, which watch is which? Which, which watch, is watch is which? Is which? <laughs> for game show. Yeah, sounds new, like a mid-morning matter's <laughs> Phone yeah, in our new regular yeah. feature: which watch is which? Today we're asking:
0: which watch is which?
4: <laughs> which watch is a witch. <laughs> Oh, and on that bombshell, Adam, I think, is it time for bank holidays?
0: It certainly is. So uh, one thing that is always constant amongst the feedback is uh, suggestions from you, uh, inspired by Alan's uh, phone-in in in I'm Alan Partridge, um, of it's bank holiday what you doing who's with you it's people's dream well I say dream it's people's (laughs) mid-range celebrity fantasies for a bank holiday and I will tip things off and then I think we'll go around the room so David Boxall says he'd like to defrost the freezer with the cast of Hollyoaks any of them that wanted an extra fun trip could pop to the recycling centre with some empty pesto jars magic
4: (laughs) Patrick Baines says chutney making with Clive Mirry on a nice barge then later we'd pop into a delicatessen to top up on cheese and bread then have a lovely picnic at a motorway service goodbye Lord Tweetsbury
1: of Twittington upon Tweet uh, writes open top canoeing with Dave Benson Phillips in the Y Valley followed by a round of golden ales complemented with some savoury snacks
6: at a local but reputable pub Madame Swish90 would like to go ice skating with Nigel Farage, then for a spot of tea at Chester Services with
0: Alison Hammond. Uh, Luntman says, Dame Kelly Holmes can pop with me to Pets at Home to browse the small rodent section and then help me load up the car with <laughs> Felix. I'll drop her at the cab rank and then help Ainsley Harriet do the audit of his VHS collection as promised.
4: Gary Armstrong would like to go to the Lightwater Valley with Sting and stop off for a filet-o-fish and McFlurry from McDonald's.
1: Adrian Barrister writes balcony seats at a Morrissey concert with Delia Smith and Ian
6: Duncan Smith. Yes, must give the Smiths a call. Peter Fitzsimmons says, Browsing streamers at B&Q with Adrian Childs. Drive through KFC on the way home. Uh, just a quick note that uh, that was posted on Twitter and uh, KFC Ireland
0: did reply to that tweet say, saying, AKA living the dream. Brilliant. Uh, Benji82 writes, A ramble with Pat Sharp, then round to the Twins for Twister and Pork Pies.
4: <laughs> Stephen Warren uh, is keen on a ploughman's lunch at the Cooper's Mill with Diane Udale.
1: Stephen Reeve writes, paintballing with Dame Judi Dench, followed by a couple's massage to soothe those aching muscles. She's very
0: competitive. Dougie Dark, nought, says, clubbing with Gove, bye. Mark McCafferty says, Botox treatment with shouty chef Gordon Ramsay, followed by a beef Wellington lunch at his place, all washed down with a big fat shot of his wife's homemade slow gin.
4: Sarah's off to a car boot sale with Sir Ian McKellen, followed by a Toby Carvery.
1: And lastly Dean Tonner who writes carp fishing
0: with Ryland and stopping off for McFlurry's on the way home. So uh, thank you so much to everybody who uh, who joined us on our Fantasy Bank holiday there. Um, and thanks to all of you that have provided us with feedback. So much, in fact, that we'll be back again soon with another feedback episode before we dive into our very exciting series of interviews with notable fans of Partridge. If you've got feedback for us, either about our own show or about the world of Partridge or Alan's shows, it's thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, twitter at thepartridgepod, instagram at monkeytennispod. The monkey tennis hotline is 7923 Zero one seven, or you can chuck us a couple of pennies just to say thanks uh, at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis so until next time from all of us at monkey tennis at the alan partridge fan podcast Thanks and goodbye. I think I genuinely would like to go carp fishing with Ryland.
5: I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis. Oh, i pierced my foot off his With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis. Edmonds is a total wazz of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, "Who the hell is that?" (laughs) This is great banter. Back of the net. Monkey tennis. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.